Welcome to Be Your Own Best Coach with JJ, the podcast. I believe that the best coach you can ever have is that one person that is staring straight back at you every morning in the mirror, you. Join me in discovering some key strategies so that you can create an empowered life and inspire others to live theirs. Your journey to being your own best coach starts right now. Hi guys, welcome again to another edition of Be Your Own Best Coach with JJ. Now, I am so excited about interviewing this incredible lady. Michelle Winkle is the co-founder of Hayes Winkle Real Estate. And in 2011, Michelle, together with her business partner, Daniel Hayes, opened up their first office in Highton, Geelong. They were quickly talk of the town with their bright pink signage and quirky advertising. And the competition even laughed at them until their property management department grew to more than a quarter of a billion dollars worth of investments. Michelle started her journey as a single mum of two kids and overcame challenges with anxiety and alcohol addiction. Today, Michelle is a well-respected, successful businesswoman and a role model to women. I'd love to invite you and excited to say Michelle's with us today. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hi, JJ. How are you? I'm good. I'm fabulous. I'm fabulous. Thank you so much for taking your time, the time to uh, speak to me today. I really appreciate it and I'm excited to have a chat with you and find out even more about you. That's okay. No, I'm I'm honoured that you've asked me. I'm a little bit nervous, but I hope that if someone can get something, if only one person gets something, then it's worth it. So I'm more than happy to share. Yeah. Thank you. Look, Michelle, I love love your journey uh, and I've, I've read part of your section in a book called 13 Wise Women. When was that? Uh, that was uh, a few years ago then. I remember going to the launch of that. Yes, I was, I'd only just given birth, I think, a month before the launch of that book. Uh, would have been five, nearly oh, five years ago, nearly five because he's five in August. So... When we wrote that, I was just found out I was pregnant with him. So that was, yeah, five years ago now. Oh, wow. And so I, I had to read through that again because it was such a long time ago. And I've even got your signature, aren't I? I've got yours. Oh, cool. <laughs> your audio I'm supposed to be saying on that page. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> so I loved reading where you came from and, uh, you're a bit of a rebel at 16. Yeah, as, as, as I, I was. I, I don't know how I got quite off um, look back and I don't know what changed, but when I got to about 16, 16 and a half, 17, I really did um, just, oh, I just got attracted to the wrong, to, to, to the wrong crowd or I guess the, the anyone who was a little bit lost or a little bit dysfunctional or not quite right was my attraction. So, um, I, yeah. and I sort of was very, I was in, I was from a very good family, like a very grounded household as a child growing up. And I was quite really at peace with myself until about 16, I got really quite lost and I didn't feel like I fitted in yeah. anywhere. I didn't feel like, um, I used to think I mean I used to think I was in the wrong family. I used to think feel like the black sheep, and uh, yeah. in the end, I really found myself one night when I had a drink of alcohol with um, some friends, and for the first time, I actually felt like I was all right. I felt like that I, I'd arrived. Really, I felt like I was part of, and I didn't feel all those insecure feelings. Like I didn't fit in. I, I felt alive. I felt good. And um, yeah, and how I. How old were you then when you had 16 your and a half. 16 and a half. Yeah. I'd never even gone on a date with a boy yeah. at that age. Like I was completely, I'd never yeah. even kissed a guy at 16 and a half. Like I was so very sheltered. And um, I just remember I went out with these friends and it made me feel alive when I drank. The scary thing was though, I remember that I didn't just stop after that. Like I, my dad used to have this bar of alcohol and I can remember being in uh, year 11 and I would pour some of his vodka into my drinking bottle and I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even tell anyone. I, I wasn't doing it walking up to school going, oh, look at me, I've got vodka in my water bottle. 
I was just occasionally having little sips to make me feel. I used to get a sense of ease and comfort from drinking um, and I just, I didn't know what that was, but at the time it, it sort of made me feel okay because I was really unsettled, obviously, when I wasn't drinking and that was sort of the start, I guess, of a bit of my downfall years to come. Which... Yeah. Were you hiding? Were you hiding? Oh, the totally. Of, the alcohol totally, yeah. I wasn't, I, so it wasn't yeah. like I was going to my friends, oh, look, I've got vodka in my water bottle. It was totally just... Um, it was it was totally just it just used to make me feel okay. It just used to make me feel like I, I, yeah. I just, it used to make me feel like I could fit in. It used to make me feel a part of. Um, it used to. I was just so nervous without it. I, I felt so um, incomplete. I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel um, worthy. I just didn't feel right. And um, unfortunately for me, picking up that drink um, did make me feel that way. And then I did start to hang out with the wrong crowd and um, I, I, I did have some experiences um, at a young age in, in year, year 10 and year 11. Um, my first, uh, you know, I don't know how much I share here, but I, my first um, sexual yeah. encounters weren't my choice. Um, so the first, that they were not good. Yeah. Um, and it took me a good year to actually finally admit to something. Are you there? Oh, yeah, I don't I'm know here. Someone tried to interfere with that, and I don't know what you got out of that. But my phone just rang. It was like someone was trying to yeah. stop me saying what I was about to say. Um, the, <laughs> you can right say it. Go ahead. The point of the whole conversation, the phone rang. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we were just waiting with basic breath. What is she going to thought? Is that a sign? Am I not meant to share this? Um, Oh, gosh, that was the wrong timing. No, um, my first sexual encounter was um, one of rape, so it wasn't, it wasn't the most ideal. And, and that was really because I was in, in a situation where I was, I was put into a place with people that weren't the right people around me and um, I couldn't defend myself. And that sent me on a di downward spiral from there um, for a good year or so. I, I didn't want to speak out about it. Um, and, um, yeah, so that, that's yeah. But But really it, it wasn't that. It was the fact that... Um, you know, when, once I drink, I can't. I drink once I have alcohol. Yeah. There is a craving that sets off in me, and I cannot stop. And for many years after that, it, it's not necessarily. Yes, things happened to you that upset. That yes, things happened to me that upset me that made me drink to hide from them. But even before any of that happened, I was already drinking. And so for me, I know that I've got a physical craving. When alcohol enters my body, I don't react. Like, for example, my mum does. My mum will have a drink and it gets a bit tipsy in her head and she doesn't drink anymore. When I have a drink, I yeah. just want more and more and more and more and more. Like, I actually can't stop. And I'm the sort of person that will yeah. say, there is no way I'm going to drink. There is no way I'm going to drink. There is no way I'm going to drink. And then I go, okay, well, maybe I'll have one. And I've never, ever, ever had one because the minute I have that yeah. one, my body goes back for more, 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 more. Yeah. It's like a craving just sets off and I can't stop it. So I never understood this um, and finally reached out for help that I was running in this cycle, this horrible cycle, like a rat going round and round and round in a cage. It was awful. Um, yeah, yeah. Is there a lot of shame around, though, you know, the, the past in regards to, to where you were right. at? Um, you know, when you the, were young, in the peak well, of your Well, the amazing yeah. thing is there isn't now. It's just absolutely amazing. It's a complete yeah. miracle. Like, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, just, and I keep saying that word amazing, but it blows my mind how much things have changed because, yes, for years after that, there was a lot of guilt and I felt, you know, I, I mean, I didn't feel good enough before yeah. I started drinking. So, of course, then things happen to me. I'm going to feel a million times worse I'm going to feel a million times less insignificant yeah. um, and less worthy and then, yeah. like, I'm letting everyone down and it just goes on and on and on. Um, and my 20s were a very mixed-up time of uh, I wanted to be in um, radio and I worked um, in Geelong Community Radio for a while and then I went on to I ended up on the Gold Coast at a radio station up there. I had a, a, an amazing job. But... You know what? I ended up working on the party cruises in the middle of the week and decided that was way more fun than having a career in radio. It was way more fun going out on boat cruises yeah. every night, getting drunk with everyone. 
Um, and, and so I went down yeah. that track. I just kept getting led to people that were drinking and this, this, in, this, in this fake world. But in my world then, it had become normal. It became normal to just constantly yeah. be obsessing, I guess, about drink. It would be about, you know, when we're going to drink, where we're yeah. going to drink, who we're going to drink with. Um, and then even, you know, when I finally I, I met my um, son's father on those party cruises and he was a drinker as well, so that just inflamed us to keep drinking. Um, yes. And then it was, you know, like, things like I would love Melbourne Cup Day, I would love Geelong Cup Day, I would love anything that had a drinking day, a, a Christmas day, a, any excuse to drink would be absolutely heightened and I'd start drinking days before it because I'd be so excited that there was going to be an excuse to drink. But that was my world. Um, so how do you start? Yeah. Because that is that was, I guess, the love of my life, as bad as weird as that sounds now. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, it was part of your idea. It was, and you, you know, thought you it, were. It's really interesting. My twenty sixth birthday uh, was ten days before I got sober. Um, twenty six, ten days. So it was on the sixteenth of April, my twenty sixth birthday, and I got all this. Um, I remember it because it was my last drinking birthday, and I got everyone gave me things like uh, wine, mm. um, some beautiful wine glasses, cocktail book. Basically, everything I got for my birthday that year was drinking paraphernalia. And I didn't even realise that then um, until another 10 days later when um, it had finally gotten too much for me. And that was was actually Anzac Day. It was nine days later, Anzac Day. And to me, the Anzac Day services had always been really important every year. One, because I used to love getting up and going because my grandfather had, um, you know, been in the war and um, that whole part of it. But I'm sad as it is to say the other part was everyone would start drinking at 7 in the morning. It's like really sad. That's that's what I was excited about, getting yeah. up at 7 in the morning and having rum and having an excuse to drink all day. And the night before I had a party and I got really drunk and it was 1 o'clock in the morning and I was standing outside the Grovedale Hotel and it was like, do I go home or do I go out because these people were trying to get me to go out. And I'd already been drinking and my last drink was a scotch and coke at, at the pub and I'd said, no, I'm going to go home because I want to get up for the Anzac Day service. Um, I often wonder, you know, that was so meant to be that I didn't get in that taxi with those people and go out that night because who knows what would have happened. Um, and I went home and I never woke up that morning. Yes. I didn't wake up for hours. I didn't wake up until like 10 o'clock the next day. I'd slept through my three-year-old son had been in the room with my ex um, at the other end of the house and he'd had a diabetic fit that night and I didn't wake up for it. Um, I was like dead to the world asleep. Like I was lucky I did wake up. That was the day I went, I can't do it anymore. Just can't do it anymore. And um, it was the most broken day of my life. Just remember it was awful, absolutely awful. Yeah. Yeah. So that was your defining moment that you that was that when you yeah. knew you had an addiction or did it was you like, know that you it had was an like addiction that morning beforehand? I woke up and everything had just changed. It's like it just all hit me like a ton of bricks. And I went outside and there was there was a bonfire that had been lit the night before, but the fire was dead. So there was nothing burning in the fire. It was just this burnt out fire. And I sat and I stared at that for nearly five hours and I felt like I was literally, it sounds really extreme, but I felt like I was dying of cancer or something. I felt like I was, I was a death sentence was looming um, and I was petrified because I knew it had to stop yeah. because the cycle had to stop. The cycle of, um, yeah. you know, the three months prior to that of having a three-year-old little boy, I was a single mum, I was like, going over to a girlfriend's, I was telling my three-year-old I was only going to have one drink and then I was hiding from him as I was topping up the drink and still saying I was on the one when I was probably on like the sixth or seventh. And then I was going home, putting him into bed and then vomiting or just passing out in bed. It was just, and that cycle was just going round and round. I wake up in the morning, I'm not going to do it today, I'm not going to do it today. And then I would find myself doing the same thing again every time thinking it was going to be different and it was never, ever yeah. different. I was living in this delusion. Um, so that morning I knew that something had to change and I think for the first time in my life I was more scared of continuing yeah. to drink than I was of stopping drinking and that was the point where I went, I need to get help um, and I had to reach out and ask 
people that had problems with drinking and I had to find a fellowship and get, get support from outside people to, to learn how to stop. Um, and that was the point where I learned yeah. that I could never drink again, like at all. Like and that's where a lot of people I think it, because you know what, yeah. that was 16 years ago, 16 years and one week now. Um, that was 16 years ago and I know 100% in my heart of hearts that if I picked up a drink today, I would not have one. There's no way I would have one. I can tell you even after 16 yeah. years, I don't want a social drink because I know what I'm like. I know if I'm going to drink, I'm just going to want to have another one and another one yeah. and another one because I firmly believe that now because I've, I've nothing's ever changed before in the past, so why would I magically just be able to have one drink now? I just I can't. I'm not that sort of person. Yeah. And it sounds like when, when you were looking at that fire, you know, the fire pit for five hours or whatever it was, it's like, you know, and I, it's, it's, yeah. I, I relate it similar to grief. Because it's like you're grieving yes. the old you. Oh, totally. D does that relate at all? Like it's like it was so much a part of you and a part of because, you, you know, as you said, you you started drinking because it made you feel better and, and so, you know, that anxiety or whatever you had before, it helped you through that and then suddenly you're going, okay, oh, no, I'm not like, going to have that anymore. It's like chopping off your best friend. <laughs> and, it's um, chopping off your best friend. Yeah. It's like losing the best friend. It's like losing this massive part of you. But you know what? Like there's no way in the world I would want that yeah. part of me back. Oh, my gosh, no. Like I can't even explain. Like, yeah. That day, if I could have told, if I could tell that girl now, what she would have in 16 years' time. If, if, if I was standing in front of myself 16 years ago and saying this is going to happen, I would just go, that is never going to happen, not in your wildest dreams. Not even one-tenth of that positivity would happen. Like I just wanted one little tiny percent better and making that choice and stepping forward and going, I'm going to get myself out of this hole. I'm going to reach out and ask to pull myself up out of this hole. I didn't just get 1%. I got like a million trillion times bigger than you can ever imagine. You know, when you hear people say, yeah. be careful what you wish for, like it's like I didn't even wish as big as my life has changed. Like I couldn't have even imagined it. That's how amazing it is. Like so, yeah. so I couldn't even speak in front of yeah. everyone. I was scared. Oh, that, that radio girl had gone. Everything had gone from me. And to think that years later yeah. I'm running a business with five officers and I'm an auctioneer and I can walk out into a crowd and I can call an auction and, and I can sell someone's home, which is their biggest asset, and I can be trusted to do that, that is just massive. Like that just blows my mind all the time. And you're freaking <laughs> and you're fabulous at, at it. And I have to say from a, um, a client's point of view because, you know, I don't know how many years ago it was now that you guys sold our home we were blown away yeah. with your whole team uh with your service um and how amazing you were as an auctioneer <laughs> you were just freaking amazing so it's just and so just coming from where you where you've come from and I love when you said one of the defining moments for you was when you it was like there was so much pain to mm. hold on to that alcoholism Whereas, you know, I often say this to my clients when I'm coaching them, if we associate enough pain and enough pleasure, uh, you know, if, we, if we've got enough pain to, to change our life, so if, if alcohol or whatever the addiction is gives us enough pain to stop and enough pleasure to, to yeah. move on, then we'll stop. But often what happens is in an addiction, we associate so much pleasure to keeping it. It's like, oh, you know, that drink makes mm. me feel good or it's fun or and then we have this also uh, label that we put on ourselves of who we mm. are in that moment because of that addiction. And, and you, you said it perfectly, Michelle, when you said yeah. there was so much was, pain that you knew you had to give only, up. Well, it was either that I actually felt I, w I would have died. I, w I would have died. Like I know now to drink to drink for me could, can cause, like I will die. Um, if it's not going to be, if it's not going to be a um, physical death, it'll yeah. be, I was already dying emotionally anyway. So 
the thing is, what do I do? Just keep dying emotionally to the point yeah. where I either commit suicide or I, um, you know, I, I don't know, write myself off or I actually have to reach out. And, and um, I'm a firm believer that, yes, I had a three-year-old that had diabetes. It was quite sick and, and I was a single mum and, yes, I had to provide for him, but I, I had to do it for myself. Not like some people go, I've got to do it. Yes, I had to do it for him. Yeah. It's going to sound selfish. I, I was doing it for him as well. But I had to want to do it. Like I had to, I had to need it. I had to be desperate enough to do it. That you know what? If someone had told me to go and stand upside down on my head in the middle of Geelong to get sober, I would have done it. I would have done what anyone had said at that point of time because I was yeah. so desperate that I reached out and I listened to the right people, the people that had gone before me that had also had drinking issues. You know, I joined a fellowship. I went into counselling. I then had to look at all the shit that I'd been running from and look at it all and go right back and, and yes, deal with the, the stuff where I'd been raped and deal with the, the stuff that had upset me and, you know, men that it had hurt me. I had to deal with that and and let that go because am I going to carry that for the next 50, 20, 30, 40 years of my life and have that weigh me down every single day or am I going to break it free and let go? and heal from it if that makes sense um and a truly amazing thing happened i yeah. didn't drive down um it was a house in heighton which is so weird because i live in heighton this is a long long time ago anyway but i didn't drive down that street i wouldn't even drive to this suburb um and now my office is just down the road from where that was where that incident happened not only that years yeah. later i drove past that house yeah and i saw that guy in the front lawn and I had a moment, at, at, I actually had the most yeah. amazing defining moment where I actually felt forgiveness. Like I can't even explain it. I, I saw him, I looked at him and I went, it's yeah. over. And then I went, oh, my gosh, where did that come from? And I had a total fear yeah. out because I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And then I was trying to get the anger and everything yeah. back. Everything was gone. It was all gone. And I was like. Oh my gosh, it's over. Yeah. And I just went, Yeah, it's done. Like you can move on now. Like it's it's you've dealt with it. You've dealt with it. You've acknowledged it. You've healed from it. Move on. Um, and that's just one example, but there's been many where I've gone, I can't carry this, or a lot of the time it's not my stuff, it's you know, it's other people's stuff, and I've got to see things for what it is and not take everything on and and not take everything so personally. Um and that's what I've learned through the fellowship. Yeah. That's what I've learned through through getting sober. That's what I've learned through speaking with people and dealing with things when they come up rather than just ignoring them and pushing them away and going, oh, that's okay, I'll deal with that, I'll deal with that later. And what happens is you build up this big, um, uh, what is it, like a mountain pile full of resentments, full of anger that every time you think of something that happened 10 years ago, you re-feel it as though it happened yesterday. Well, now, if I've got a resentment, I deal with it yeah. when it happens. Yeah. I go, you know what, you're, you're resentful at that person because they pissed you off because they didn't say hello to you the right way and it's probably not even, it's it's not even, it's your stuff, it's my stuff. It's not often their stuff that I'm angry about, if that makes sense. It can be the way I'm feeling. Um, yeah. And yeah. a lot of the time it's my not... reactions are based out of fear yeah. as well. So a lot of the time I get really fearful um, and fear makes us angry and then, that used to take me back, that used to take me to drink. Um, whereas now I have other things that I do and, yeah. I mean, part of my story is I had, I had to, I, I have a lot of faith because that's part of my story. So that's, that's what I had to reach out for. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to ask you about that. You're ahead, you're ahead of me. Did that, that, that religious faith, did, did that uh, evolve or, or did you have that strong faith kid, beforehand? Like Lost it when I was 16, obviously, just sort of blew all that out yeah. the window. Definitely regained it when I got sober um, and definitely because how, I mean, things don't make sense to me how things happen because another thing that happened that night, that Anzac Day night that I had my last drink, my mum was in South Australia on a holiday. She said she went down to the beach um, with my dad. She was walking along the beach. She sat down and she just said, she literally said, God, I need you to help Michelle. I'm worried she's drinking too much. 
that that was the night I had my last drink. I woke up the next day yeah. in Victoria and decided I mean that's, I decided I wasn't going to drink again. How can you explain that? So things like that have happened throughout yeah. my sobriety that I notice and that I'm aware of because I'm I'm never. I'm fully, like, I'm not under the influence of anything now. <laughs> so I see things and I go, wow, how amazing is that? Like, how does that, you know, too many things happen. And yeah. for me, the way when I saw that guy on the lawn and just didn't feel anything, I knew that it had been, it's been taken from me. Like, I couldn't do that on my own. Um, when I tried to fix things on my own, I just got drunk and in a mess and on a pile yeah. of, in, my life never got better when I was drinking and trying to run the show on my own. So for me, I need to hand something over. Um, I need to, yeah. I, I just need to every day, I will often start the day and I'll say, um, you know, um, you know, help me, help me to be free from dishonest, selfish, selfish thinking, self-seeking. How can I be of use to others today? So I sort of say that little prayer every day, like how can I be of use to others today? Let, let it be more about others and less about myself be- because I think in life it, it can be very easy to fall yeah. into, well, if everything just goes my way, life will be okay. But but the more you try to control your life, the yeah. harder your life becomes. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I often say I often say to people that have done depression for a long time that mostly yeah. when you're doing depression, you're thinking about yourself. Yeah. You're not thinking about serving others. And so when well, you do that and shift, like, everything most, changes. Like, older um, people used to say, older people that are sober used to say to me, well, what have you done to help someone today? You know, get out of your head. Go and help someone today. So it was people that gave me that guidance. Yeah. You know, and you can be feeling like absolute crap. And I can guarantee you, if you go and do something for someone, you don't have to let everyone know. It's even better if you don't let everyone know. If you go and do something for someone, you can just feel amazing after it. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. Um, and and that's, yeah. I guess, for me now, part of being on this journey is, um, yeah, the more people I can help, the better I feel as well. So it's a selfish thing, I guess, in a way, helping others. But it works. Um yeah, I've had a lot of very wise people over the years. Um, another one always used to say to me, um, she used to say, I'd go, oh, I'm feeling this, this, this and this and, I, and this and this and then this happened and then this happened and she was great. She'd always say, where's God in all this, Michelle? And I'd go, oh, yeah, because everything's just been I, 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 yeah. I. So for me that's helped me. Um, that that yeah. has been part of my journey yeah. and I wouldn't have been able to do it without that. Um, you know, yeah, beautiful. Well, there are people that jeopardize, and not not meaningfully necessarily jeopardize. You know, je- try to jeopardize your mm. journey because there is such a culture in regards to drinking, isn't there? It's just such a culture. And I know for me, it was t- two years ago I decided to to give up drinking, um, and it wasn't that I was. Initially, it wasn't that I was going to stop drinking yeah. forever. I was like, I'll just will not do it for a month. <laughs> and but I learned so much, Michelle, because I actually started, because I always yeah. you know, say to myself, I pride myself on my mindset. I really do. And that's something that's a really high value of mine. Um, but, but when I gave up drinking for a month, I found that, that I, I did really rely on, you know, it's like that Friday night, you know, I get stressed and it's like, oh, okay, I need a drink just to take the edge off. And it was such a culture and even going to other people's houses, like, go on, have a drink or you're no fun. or And so I was like defending. It was like, I'm fun without any alcohol, thanks. You know what I mean? I felt like I was always defending myself. Um, and it was then that I decided, hey, I actually don't need I, I don't want to have this alcohol anymore but it was yeah. like I was defending myself yeah, totally. in the process um, the start, did, did you go through that the first few years I remember finding it really really hard um yeah yeah oh it's still a bit you know it's like you're the weird one you know what I mean I'm so confident in the fact that I don't that I don't care so much like as much anymore like I remember thinking I, I remember thinking because I was 26 I remember yeah. thinking on the in the first week of getting sober, oh my god, I'm going to turn thirty. I'm going to turn forty. My kids, what happens when they get married? What happens at my son's eighteenth? 
you know what? Half of the, like I've turned 30, I've turned 40, I've got married. Um, my son's had his 18th. I've been to funerals. I've been to celebrations. I've been yeah. to weddings. All of that has happened without me drinking. And the way I've got through every single event has been like I know 100% deep down in my whole core of being that the misery and the depression and the crap that came after drinking is way worse than any like awkwardness I might feel. So I just think that through. I always think it through and I go, yeah, nah, there's no way I want that. So it's amazing because I do actually recoil from it as from a hot flame and I'm more confident now to tell people, oh, I don't drink. And then they say, oh, oh, why not? And and now I just say, oh, because when I drink I can't stop so I don't bother. (laughs) Sometimes I'll say that if I feel like it, if I'm in the right environment. Other people I'll just go, oh, no, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm allergic to it or it doesn't sit well, it doesn't make me very well. Um, But I've become less and less worried I think as time's gone on and I think a lot of people that are around me also know, oh, she doesn't drink, so they just accept it. And if anything, I'm a good person to be a driver or something. And I love I, I love waking up in the mornings. Oh, my gosh, do I love waking up in the mornings and not having a hangover. Like I haven't had one for 16 years, yeah. so that's awesome. Um, I get one, you know, you'll have a really, you know, when you only have two or three hours sleep and you wake up really exhausted. Yeah. I struggle with that, so I wouldn't want to know what hangover is like now. Yeah. <laughs> Too hard. (laughs) But did did, did you find it challenging when you changed from a drinker to a non-drinker, did you find it was a process before you could language that? Because even for me, I would say I'm not drinking for now and then it took me a while for me to say, I don't drink alcohol. It really took me a while. I don't know why. You know, I was one of those girls, Michelle, I mean, you're friends with me on Facebook, that Friday night I'd go, wine, I'd put a post up, it's wine o'clock, you know, and I'd put that up. And so I, I found it really challenging to even say the words that I'm not a um, I, like, yeah, I don't no, drink. I think, like, I'm not a drinker. I, I don't drink alcohol. I do. I think I know a lot of people <laughs> think a long, that? long time. I think now, because I guess yeah. I'm 16 years down the path, it feels like so long ago, but I can remember early days finding it really strange because yeah. it's that whole social acceptability of it. And um, the hardest thing that, yeah, I just find it really hard because I know that there'd be a lot of women out there that are at home that are with young kids that are relying on that drink at the end of the day, that are relying on that that get out or that peace or that what they think is that peace or that escapism. Um, and, and But then you actually wake up and then I, I say that and then I think and then you wake up feeling awful in the morning and you don't even realise it's probably because you're constantly having that escapism and then dragging yourself through the day until you've got to escape again and then wake up feeling crap again in the morning. Um, but, yeah, I've probably gone off track there. But what I was saying was um, the, yeah. as I was say, um, it is very socially acceptable and women are all like, like you, I can't even tell you the amount of times I've auctioned homes and people have gone, oh, gee, you're going to love having that wine tonight. And you know what I say? I just go, yeah, I know. And I laugh and I walk to the car and think, oh, I don't get the luxury of having a wine. Or, or you know, if a sale falls over, they'll go, oh, you'll, gee, you'll appreciate having that. You'll be looking forward to that glass tonight. And it's like, you know what, I don't have an out. Like people often will say to you, you don't realise how many times people will say, if you're going hard or struggling or something hasn't quite gone your way during the day, a lot of people will say, oh, you'll enjoy a glass of wine tonight. Like that's everyone's answer. Um, and I sort of walk away and think, yeah, no, not me. Unfortunately, yeah. I might get some yeah. chocolate or <laughs> that's about it because I don't do anything, you know. I don't even do sleeping tablets, <laughs> so I do nothing. So I'm like, no, I'm going to yeah. have to either pray or do some writing on um, yeah. my resentment on how angry I am about that situation and then I'm going to have to move on yeah. because for me to drink is to die. Like I can't go home and have a little and a nice drink and just escape it tonight. But a lot of society yeah. have that opinion. Everyone does. Yeah. 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 And the power with 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 what you know you is that you actually deal with your feelings. You know, as you said, it's it, alcohol or it, you know lots of different drugs can yes. be in this well, escape to actually deal um, with what you need to deal with. Whereas right. 
Yeah, and so you know, yeah, with your writing, you said you write, write, write you know, down, and then I'll look at. Um, um, it's about doing it. and and quite often, if someone's annoyed me, it'll be because it's affected my pride or my self esteem or my you know my ego or my um my um you know my uh, what is it my ambition or my social security it affects the way I feel um, and that's why I'm angry at them but it's actually because they yeah. made me not feel you know um, it'll often kind of think of an example um, like yeah um, if I'm angry at someone for cutting me off in the traffic it'll be because you know I, I, I believe that um, I'm the best driver that has the right to drive on the road. So I'll often look at it from a high self-esteem, like a high ego point of view. And then I get all these feelings that go off in my head um, when it's actually probably because, yeah. um, and it's and quite often you get angry at people when you've done the same thing yourself. It'll come back to you've often done the same thing to someone else, no matter what it is in some way in your life. Yeah. If you're angry at someone, you've often done the same thing. Um, and, and not everyone... Um, is in a good place either. Yeah. So, you know, we're very quick to pull each other down, but we don't know what pe people are going through. Um, and, you know, sometimes I get really hurt because I've had people say things That's like, wrong. I've shared my story yeah. before and, and because I'm a business person, I've heard it come back at me with some of my competitors will say, oh, I've heard that she's a raving. Like, no, I'm not, you know, I used to get majorly upset about that 10 years ago when I was, you know, 10 years ago. It used to really hurt me. I think, oh, my God, they're going around telling yeah. everyone I'm a raving drunk and I'm not even, I'm sober. But then I thought, you know what, it's not my stuff. That's their stuff. And if people choose to listen to that, then I'm not the right person for them anyway because yeah. that's not who I am, that those people that are listening to that don't get to know the true person that I am. It's not who I am. So, um, yeah, uh, I just... You know, I don't think yeah. when I came in, when I when I came in to get sober, I wanted to be 100%, get it all right and be right and get to the destination and get to like 20, 30 years sober. But I'm learning it's the journey as I go. It's the, it's the journey and the journey is amazing and the things that I learn and I'm not yeah. going to be perfect. It's just... It's just progress, not not perfection. It's never going to be perfection. Um, it... Yeah. So what, how would you describe oh, the old Michelle compared like to the new away. Michelle? Like sometimes, you know, sometimes. So I get up every day and I walk on the beach and I absolutely love it or I exercise at 5 a.m. I get up at 5 a.m. every day. The old me would have slept in until 11, 11.30. And then um, I probably would have just been waiting all day to get onto the alcohol, even with a young baby. That's what I would have done. Would have struggled throughout the whole day. I had no confidence. I had no self-esteem. I had nothing. I was living in um, a rental property. Um, I had no security. I had no no real career prospect. Um, and now, you know, and almost even thinking that I'd have to give my kid up, my son up for adoption, uh, that boy's now gone on to study ministry. It's amazing. He's 19. It's just amazing. Um, but now the person that I am now is, um, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a business leader. I'm a, I'm a mother of four children. I'm a wife. Uh, I have financial responsibility. I'm self-supporting. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm financially self-supporting. When I was uh, four months sober, just to go back really quickly, when I was four months sober, I actually found out I was pregnant um, and my mother had said at the time that that was going to destroy me, it was going to be the worst thing and I'd be on welfare for life and um, two young kids trying to get sober um, and no business prospects was going to be a whole world of pain. She said I'd never end up marrying anyone, like no one would actually want to get married to me. Um, so when you say people trying to pull you down, um, and yeah. and I just went, no, I am. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I'm going to trust that everything's going to be okay here. So, you know, now to be a mother of four and married and running a business um, and living on a farm, which was always my dream as a little girl, and having horses, which was always my dream as a little girl, um, you know, all these things have come, but they've come because I've put one step in front of the other every single day. And when life's 
tackled me and thrown me massive curveballs and I thought I can't go on, I've literally put it down to I've got up the next day and gone, I'm just going to get up, I'm going to suit up and I'm going to get through the day. And each time I do that, I seem to get one step closer to getting um, moving forward and, and getting that positive happiness in my life that I've, I've wanted. But it doesn't mean that it's perfect. Like you do have those pitfalls. But day, day at a time, each wow. day at a time, uh, you can get through yeah. anything if you only take it as one day. And, yeah. and it's amazing how, because I know when you got into real estate, how, how long was it, were you in real estate as an agent before you yeah. opened well, that, your that office another, with Daniel? In 2011, how long were you in real estate I got off of a job in real estate from Daniel three years exactly to the day that I got sober. He didn't, it was just a fluke, but that was the day. It was April the 24th. Amazing. April 24th, wow. sorry. Yeah, so three years exactly I got off of a job in real estate. Yeah. Then fast forward another, so what is it, about seven years? It was actually that the Hayeswinkle birthday is on the same day as my anniversary. Which is just like my yeah. AA, my um, my sober birthday. So it's just it's just oh, amazing. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I I, I struggled for eight yeah. and, oh, the first six months in real estate. I was on my own, and then um, I really really struggled. And then I said I went back as a PA. Yeah. So I worked as a PA for the first time. So I decided to work under someone for a good year. So a bit like getting sober, I went, I'm going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to learn from the best. I'm going to learn from the experienced people and I'm going to build my career that way. So I took a step backwards to go forwards. And the year after that, I had my best year ever. And, you know, that was just another thing. Um, my dad said, this is never going to work. If you go into sales, it's never going to work because you won't have a set wage and you won't be able to finance the kids and it's just not, you'd be better off staying on a fixed wage than taking that risk. But what I'd learned was if I don't take risks, I'm never going to get anywhere. And if I don't yeah. jump in and give it a go, I'm never going to know. So yeah. Daniel is very similar in his thinking with me and launching Hayes Winkle was yeah. all about if we stay under a franchise for the next 15, 20 years and then, you know, end up retiring or doing whatever, we'll go, oh, yeah, that was good, that was a good life. But how do we not know when we're on our deathbed, how do we not know that we never even gave it a shot? Like at least if we're, you know, if it comes to the end of our life and we go, well, at least we had a go and we know what happened, that's better than not knowing and just living going, oh, I'll just, you know, toddle along like this forever. You've got to... I believe you've got to take risks if you want to get ahead. Otherwise, you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. That's and and, and you know what? Courage isn't. Um, I believe you get courage as you step forward. Courage is living through and stepping forward and going. I'm going to give that a go. That's where courage comes. If you're just sitting there waiting yeah. for courage, it's never going to happen. If you're just sitting there, oh, wait, wait until I've got the courage to do that. I I would have been. I still wouldn't have auctioned a home. Yeah. I'd be sitting back where I was in 2008 going, oh, I'm too scared to walk out the front and call the auction. But I had to just walk yeah. out and just do it. And Well, see, even with this, with, with this podcast, Michelle, and I, when you started, you said, I'm nervous, but I'm ready to do it. It's like it's you're true. so used to, even when you're nervous, it's like I'm doing yeah, it. It's true. I'm just, I'm going to, as you said, the, the challenge is coming as I do it. But I'm like, oh, well, I've just got to start. And then the other thing is I can't write a speech and I can't yeah. prepare for it because I'm not that sort of person. Whatever comes out is going to come out. It's going to be what you need to hear or what people need to hear or what I'm meant to say. I do have a trust that the right thing will come out um, because I, 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 I'm not into – I gave this speech, it was uh, about five years ago um, in Brisbane, um, so I have spoken a bit, which has been amazing. And I, I mean, it's so amazing. Like, and, and that girl that was sitting in front of the fire that yeah. couldn't move, and I ended up speaking at ARIC, which is the Australian Real Estate Conference, which is what 10,000 real estate agents go to, and only about 10, 20 people get to speak at that thing. It is the 
be all and it's like the biggest thing you can be involved in in the real estate industry and I was on stage there so it just blows my mind but um I went to speak at this event in Brisbane a few years ago and one of these um it was a woman's a woman's empowerment thing and someone said to this this real estate agent lady they said so what happens if life doesn't go to plan and she goes she's a mum of kids and she goes well, in my life, everything does go to plan, so I make it go to plan. So there isn't any not going to plan in my life. And the minute she said that, I just looked at my PA and I just went, I just went, oh, I said, I, I so can't. I said, I just, I said, I'm going to sound like crap because I'm going to get up there and say that my whole life doesn't go to plan. Um, and I, I can't relate to that. Sorry, I don't know anyone where their life goes perfectly to the yeah. way they plan it, even with kids and even running a life. Yeah. <laughs> exactly it's not I'll real be out of a job. So don't say it i'll be out of a job so michelle why would you say that <laughs> i'm just thinking i would love to be able to say that my life doesn't go to plan like goes to plan perfectly yeah. and that everything is just as i want it but that's not reality um that's never going to be reality and i don't think it is reality i've learned that it's not reality in anyone's yeah. life like my husband will say in the morning when he's trying to get the kids all ready and, and no one's doing what he wants and yeah. it can be a bit chaotic in the morning and he'll go, this isn't normal, everyone's not like this. And I say, yes, they are. Yes, they are. I say, if we go and video people's houses, I'm sure you'll find that they're not all listening to classical music, strumming <laughs> along with a perfect home, doing all the dishes and getting everything perfect and everyone just walks out the door to the car in a happy <laughs> mood. Like that is not real life. Um, exactly yeah well we wouldn't, we wouldn't be growing exactly. we wouldn't be learning if if everything was so easy um i, lo I love tony, tony robbins saying is that yes. imagine you, in, instead of saying life is happening to you it's happening for you and so and i yeah, always exactly. think of that because any challenge that happens i'm thinking what am i learning from this now how can i be a better person from this um, if we didn't have those challenges and uncertainty, yeah, exactly. and, and, and I mean, there's lots the of uncertainty in the world, and we're all learning you know, from it. Even the worst, the worst times in my life, the hardest times, and there has been hard times throughout the 16 years of being sober, where I've been back down on my knees, going, "Oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this?" I know that when I do get through it, the growth hurdle is absolutely amazing. So I'll go, okay, I'm going through another really bad growth patch, but I've just got to keep running up and keep suiting up and keep getting through it. And day by day, it'll get a little bit easier. Um, you know, and that's what I've loved about this whole COVID-19 thing. Like the whole world all of a sudden has yeah. to learn to live day, day at a time, which is what I, we've, I've been doing for 16 years. Like, yes, sometimes you've just got to take it day at a time. Yeah. Because we don't always know what's around the corner and there are no guarantees. Yeah. And yes, we can have a plan. Yeah. But we can have a plan, but we've got to understand that if that changes, it's okay. We can just adapt. We've got to learn to adapt to it. So. Well, yeah. I think it's How been, you guys it's been easier because I've had COVID that. that that real 16 years of, okay, let's day at a time get through this. And I've had to say that to my staff. This is what we're doing at the moment. We're just getting through it day at a time. And, of course, like everything, everything changed and everything got um, slowed down, everything slowed down. But um, uh, we are just building and, you know, I'm, I, I realised that it was easy to almost go, you know, the first two days because we've got a rental department, so that does still function because it's essential. And the first two days um, we let the receptionist go because the, the, we could do that ourselves because yeah. the sales team weren't as busy. But the first few days I sort of came in in casual clothes and started to get a bit okay and was really struggling and I had to pull myself out and go, you know what, I have to suit up a couple of days a week. I have to... Um, still come to it with the same confidence that I had before and not get weared down by it, if that makes sense. Um, the great thing about it is, yeah, I've, I've had a little bit more time in the yeah. afternoon to get home yeah. to the kids and do that sort of thing and, and started to realise I can do a bit more from home and 
it was nice being able to do a couple of Saturday inspections and I even just wore casual clothes, which was really nice um, because I get a bit sick of constantly suiting up. But, um, yeah, and, and I'm just trying to uh, – I've been running along the beach with my daughter every morning because I normally go to the gym and that got shut and that was my headspace. So I'm, like, I'm still getting up at 5 o'clock every morning and I do a workout with her and then we yeah. do a 10-kilometre walk on the beach um, so we've actually spent more time bonding during this time. Um, but I think I didn't want to fall into a trap of going, I'm sitting on the couch watching Netflix, not going to move, not going to do anything. I've forced myself to get out, walk, to exercise um, and to get that fresh air even on the cold days and, um, yeah, just to be really present with the family and enjoy, try and enjoy while I can that it's not quite so busy. Because the busyness will all come eventually. The busyness will all come and then you'll look back and go, I should have enjoyed it more. Yeah. What you... <laughs> yeah. What do you think what do you think the keys to a successful business mindset is? What do you think the keys to that are for a really successful mindset in business? Because you see people going yeah. in and out of business, and I know particularly when there's challenges thrown in like COVID-19, Well, um, what do you Daniel think is really important in regards to your mindset health. around business? He's a massive advocate for men's suicide, massive advocate. So we're very big on yeah. mental health. So yeah. mental health is really important. I think if you're running a business, yeah. um, I don't think there's anything wrong with um, speaking to a counsellor or psychologist or anyone if you need to, like not to be afraid to reach out and talk to uh, mentors, to have mentors in your life, I guess. I think that's essential. Um, I think exercise is essential because I know 100% that if I don't exercise in the morning, my day's not going to go well. So for me, it's exercise and for me it's prayer as well because that's what helps my day go right. Um, I have a firm belief yeah. in business that if you do right by people, that they will do right by you. Yeah. Not everyone does right by you, but eventually if you continue to treat others the way you would want to be treated, that is, yeah. um, that's worth more than anything. That's worth its weight in gold. Um, I also don't – I value my staff massively and I appreciate them massively, yeah. but I also understand that they're not necessarily going to be there forever because I've had that real attachment to staff in the past and then been shocked when they've left and opened yeah. up their own real estate agency or done whatever they've done, which they've done because they've wanted to grow and there's only so much someone can grow under you. But I've got too close to staff before, so I've got yeah. a real belief now that you value people, you respect them, you um, yeah. get the most out of them while they're working for you and then understand that no one is forever. Because I think if, if you're a business owner and you put your um, everything into your staff, like they are everything and they're the only thing that's yeah. going to help your business succeed, then you're setting yourself up to fail because people will always let us down because people are humans. So, um, you know, and life changes. And if you're going to put all of it in on, oh, because I've got so-and-so yeah. working reception, my business is perfect, there's no guarantee that so-and-so on reception isn't going to leave one day. So... Um, understanding that everyone is replaceable because they are. I've seen people come and they've gone off and they've run their own business or whatever and we've got amazing people that have stepped up and yeah. become great agents or become great receptionists in their place. So everyone is replaceable. I think that's really important. Um, yeah, and I think uh, just an, an open environment and, and we don't let... Uh, we don't let gossip fester in the office either. So that's something that we're very open. Like if we've got an issue with someone, we speak it out openly and it's always been like that at Hayeswinkle. So we don't have that, we, we've never had that in-fight bullying sort of environment because Daniel and I both come from that very um, open and honest forum where we share yeah. openly so staff know that they can share openly back as well. Yeah. And that gives that gives particularly in these uncertain times because mm. if you feel that that particularly yes. your leaders are holding back information, it can be even more scary. 
um, because people create stories around that. And I can see, you know, through your old videos um, that, you know, your interviews that you've had before and same with Daniel, how open you guys are. It's like you're so transparent. <laughs> and I actually, I love that. I love that rawness about both of you, that you're so raw um, and you just give it, you know, whatever you want to say, you say it, and I love that because I think some that so many people think that they have to be a certain way, yeah. and I don't, well, that's I don't it. see that that's how you and Daniel are. It's like here like I am, warts and all, um, you know. <laughs> before, like every year when I, hopefully I get to seventeen years yeah. sober, but every year when I get another year up, I, you know, a few years I started to put that on Facebook. And you would be amazed at how many people have actually reached out to me that I didn't know that were on my friends list, like people from the outside or people that know of people that have said, hey, I know someone that would like to talk to you. And it's like if I had never said that, they would never have known. So, you know, that, that how do they reach out? Like for me when, when, when I got sober, it was actually people that yeah. were, had gone before me that were actually successful that were five, six, seven years sober up that made me go, actually, you know what, they can do it. Maybe I can too. So one little bit of hope just can give someone so much hope in that dark time. So just because I've got a real estate business and I've got kids and, you know, I'm a wife or whatever, I've got happy photos of me and my kids on the farm and I'm in real estate, doesn't mean that there's not, that there hasn't been pain behind that or doesn't mean that I don't have bad days or doesn't mean that I don't, you know, get angry over silly little things or I can get really like, oh, that's really annoyed me. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human person. Like we've, we've all got feelings. We've all got a backstory. And I think if people are more open with that, you can learn so much. When people share their story with me, I learn so much. And so I hope by, by sharing mine, well, that it will, yeah. Yeah. And you can save lives. You can save lives, Michelle, you know, and I've got a real huge belief around that, that that your story can help someone and you, you can help save a life. And I know I, I say this in my speaker trainings with my students and sometimes I remember saying it once when I had a group of 20 students and we did a, a video of a message, an inspiring message, and each one of them said an inspiring message on Facebook Live actually um, and then the next day there was a message that came through and it was someone to say, I'm, mm. because I listened to your message, I, was, I was, yeah. didn't think I could live life anymore today until I saw this video. Like it's your message can, can help save a life and I think, you know, by having a voice and expressing yeah. that even when you're nervous and, as you said, courage comes with action, when you're doing that, you can really help well, yeah. others and it's so fulfilling. And sometimes you know that you've helped them and other times you don't even know. Like we, you don't know, you might listen to this podcast and you could really touch their life and you may never know at all who that person is or that you've touched their lives and then they touch yeah, lots of other people's lives, you know, whether it be their children, their family. The voice is really powerful. In October last year and... Um, Remember, they took a line that I'd said in there and my husband said, I cannot believe that they've published that. I didn't realise I was going to publish it. It was about a bad time I had a few years ago in business and I shared in there and they put it in the paper and I said, oh, yeah, that'll be okay. And I didn't really think about it till it went in. And then I went, oh, my gosh, what have I done? But I shared in there that um, I wasn't going to make a, a permanent solution to yeah. a temporary problem. So I, I'd been going through such a dark patch and it was um, something to do with the business that I couldn't fix at the time. And I was having visions of driving my car into the tree over and over and over. And I kept thinking I can't make a permanent solution to this temporary problem. Like I really had to tell myself that over and over and over and over again because what am I going to do? How important is it? Am I going to? Yeah. Seriously, because when you're in that space, you can be such in that darkest, darkest, darkest space that you even start to think, oh, but, you know, the kids, everyone will be better off without me. Like you're so clouded. Your vision is so obstructed. But it's not like you're just going to go to sleep for a while and wake up and everything's going to be better. That's not it. It's, you know, you take yourself out, you have removed yourself from everyone and you know what? Whatever you've taken yourself yeah. out over is going to end up fixing itself. 
So why make a permanent solution to a temporary problem, you know? Um, and, and I shared that. Yeah. It went in the paper and I was like, oh. And then I had to go, I had to go into this house that morning yeah. and um, this lady was going to sell. And, and I was sitting there and she said, oh, so I went down to Heighton and I got the paper this morning and my stomach just dropped. And I thought, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. She's read this article. This lady's going to think I'm the worst person in the world. And then she goes, my family's had so many mental health issues. I'm so glad that you shared what you shared. And it just kept coming like that the whole week. People kept saying these positive things. So I thought, you know, if only one person had have read that and they got something from it or if no one did, and I'll never actually even know if anyone got anything from it. But um, you don't know if you don't put it out there. And too many people are too scared to speak, too scared to speak about what they're feeling for fear of what people think. And I just, it's who I am. So whether people like it or don't like it or think I should say it or don't yeah. think I should say it, it's who I am and it's part of who I've become. So I'm more comfortable with that now, if that makes sense. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think, yeah. you know, I will say to people particularly with, Particularly, women have a, can have a big need to be liked, and and you know I say to myself, you know, and I say to my students, mm. the focus is yes. like some people are going to love <laughs> you, but not everyone is, and that's okay because they're not your people. <laughs> you know, not everyone's going to be your people, and the, the the quicker you can get onto that, the better. Because I know <laughs> for my business. That the people that aren't my people are yeah, pains in the ass, them. Michelle. Exactly. Like they're pains yeah. in the I, ass I can to have, work with I can have like because they're not your people. They're hard. To yeah. I did it again. My phone rang. I can have a hundred odd sales a year. I think her phone's ringing again. The reason I haven't gelled with them <laughs> yeah. for one, and it'll be things beyond my control, <laughs> and they just are angry and all I remember is that one, not the 100 or 150 that loved me before that. It'll just be that one. And every and, and sometimes if I'm in a bad place, I'll go, yeah, but remember that one two years ago when you did absolutely everything for them and, yeah. and they were so upset about the fake flowers that you didn't remove from the, you know, living room in the photo. And I'll be like, that's all I'll focus on every single time. And I'm thinking, what does it matter? It doesn't matter. You've got all these good ones. So I can tell how well I'm traveling by how well I'm focusing on that one negative. If I can just brush it off, they'll be like, okay, yeah, I'm in a good space. But if I'm only concentrating on that one negative thing that someone said six months yeah. ago that I can still remember like it's cut me like a knife, then I go, you know what, you're not traveling the best at the moment. Um, and that that's when I have to bring it back and, and, and sort of write out my resentment and realize and move on from it. Yeah. Yeah. So what's 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 your vision for the next, I don't know, for the next 12 months or five yeah, years? Have you got any set firm goals? I mean, you've got a beautiful house in the country well, now, horses. Country. Um, <laughs> what, what is it that you'd love no, to look, achieve? Sorry? I've got six cows. Have you got a pig? Have you got a cow and a pig? Yeah, but my daughter's overfed him oh, and he's not really miniature anymore. I think he's a bit too big. <laughs> You've got a miniature pig, <laughs> um, isn't Gary, it? He's hilarious. Um, we all love him now. Um, my husband was talking about feeding <laughs> him last night, but it, that was just because he had to go and buy more pig food. Um, <laughs> um, and three border collies and, and two cats. One's gone missing. I don't know where that one is. Probably up in the countryside somewhere. Um, but, yeah, look, I think it's really my goal I, look, I, I just love my bit. I love what I do. I want to keep auctioning. I don't. I just love it. I actually love it. Like if I was to win Tats Lotto tomorrow and someone was to say you never have to work again in your life, I'd say, yeah, but I just want to auction because I actually do love it. I, I, I love nothing more than the rush of it and I, the whole part of it. And I've realised how much I love yeah. it even with this COVID-19 when I haven't been able to do what I've wanted to do. Um, I just realised how truly I miss it and thrive on it. Um, I I am spending more yeah. time with my kids now uh, because I've got I've got nineteen, fifteen year old, and I've got an eight year old and a four year old. So that 
the eight and the four-year-old, I've made a real conscious effort in the last year or so to really start getting home earlier, to not do late-night appointments because for 15 years I would do appointments, you know, for 10 or 12 years I'd do, you know, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whereas now I don't. Um, I'll do them during the day or I'll do them on a Saturday, but I don't do a lot of late-night appointments because I want to spend those hours at home with the kids. Um, I changed my business where the fact that I do get home in time to cook them dinner and to eat dinner as a family. So my husband for the first probably eight eight or ten years never used to have me home at dinner time. I'd walk in the door at 7.30 when everyone was in bed and they'd had dinner and I guess I'm lucky to have two younger kids that I can have those experiences with because with the 19 and 15-year-old I missed out on a lot of that. And I think when you when you have a 15 and a 19-year-old, you truly realise, particularly a 19-year-old, you truly realise that they do yeah. actually grow up and they do actually leave home and it's not just a myth but it does really happen So, so and it happens fast. So it probably makes me even yeah. more protective and even more yeah. immersed in the four-year-old. The poor little four-year-old is like the, my real baby. Yeah. Like I over-smother him and I over-love him because I know that he's going to grow up and I don't want him to. Um <laughs> so that's I think it's more uh, for me it's about really enjoying that time with the kids and really spending time with the kids and a really I want a really simple life I don't want to travel a lot or do a lot of things I just want to be present and to be able to spend time with my kids um and and obviously seeing the business grow is um another thing so the more the business can grow the less maybe hands-on I need to be quite so immersed within the business so that would be my next step moving forward but still obviously always auctioning always auctioning I just love it too much yeah 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 thank you <laughs> well you can tell you can tell you love it so well thank you so, so much, Michelle, for today. I've, I really loved talking to you and thank you, you. Uh, and I don't know how, how the title sits with you, but I think you're, you're such an inspiring lady and I love your transparency and how you share your story, how you just, you know, this is who you are and you're authentic with that and I love that. I, I, I wish that for more people. I wish that more people were more transparent and yeah. authentic about sharing their life and sharing their story because it, it can help so many people. So I really appreciate your time today and I know that thank you that no you problem. are helping Hopefully so many people someone. out there just from sharing your story today. Thanks. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Oh. One step at a time. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for Bye. stepping forward into courage. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Be Your Own Best Coach with JJ. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at JJ Speaker Coach. And remember to live with insatiable passion, create an empowered life and inspire others to live theirs.